Welcome back to another episode of the Shorts and Goggles podcast. RJ Liggins and Kevin Reed back on another Monday. Kev, how's the week starting for you? RJ, it's March, which means basketball's in the air. Yes, sir. And, and we're definitely going to keep talking NBA basketball today, but just just when the calendar turns to March, you get a little I get a little pep in my step with with March going on, man. I don't know if you felt that today. I mean, it's no coincidence that the sun has been shining. Bobby Schmurter's out of jail. Like, all things are moving towards the positive. March Madness is coming. Even an all-star game is going to be here. Things are looking up for March so far. So, yeah, knock, knock on wood, let's, let's keep keep the good vibes going. So, yes, please. With, with that in mind, we'll pick up from our conversation last week uh, about the soul of basketball. Uh, Kev, I don't know if you want to give the people just a quick recap if they, they happen to miss what that first episode was about. Right. So we're just going from bottom to top of the NBA standings. And we're, we're thinking about things from like, if we can succinctly describe the, a team's like intrinsic motivation, in other words, like what the vibe of the team is right now, um, do the players have something to play for beyond contracts, for example, Mm -hmm. um, you and I really like, looking at and we 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 really like talking about chemistry and organization and things like that and and how pieces fit together so really this is just an exercise in that and the premise being obviously the teams their teams get more talented as we move up duh but what i think we're also finding is that as we move up beyond talent level beyond superstars is there's teams that they have, they have something about them. They have a uniqueness to them. Mm-hmm. They have um, another thing we're doing as we go through those teams is like in an exercise, like what are the Oklahoma city thunder? Do they have a clear ethos? Do they have a clear expectation as a franchise? Does their team buy into it? Mm-hmm. And if there is harmony and kumbaya with all, all of that, then I think it's good. I, I bet we're not going to find dysfunctional franchises as we move our way up. Definitely. Yeah. I think what we're going to see is either some teams that are booming up the standings uh, from earlier in the season, kind of turning their season around teams that have already been at the top. Really only one team has slid since our conversation. So we cover the first 15 teams up to, to number 15, which Dallas was in that spot. Only teams that have changed are the Pacers who have dropped to below 500 after a pretty hot start to the season. So the Pacers right now are sitting in that 20 spot we're typically a pro pacers podcast and i i just want to say i think the reason for this slide is because of your your jump to allegiance to the miami heat so mm, yeah. i don't know if you got some apologizing <laughs> to do or, or what's going on kev i i will not i will not apologize <laughs> <laughs> i can i can have both i have as a i'm wearing my nba jam sean kim gary payton t-shirt today mm. so look if i can't have one diehard franchise i can have a couple Eastern Conference teams that I dabble in. There you go. I'm I'm okay with that. Thank you. Usually, I mean, the, the easiest way to describe the Indiana Pacers is that they are a perennial playoff team that yeah. occasionally sees spikes in competition or like where they land in standings. But more or less, they're like kind of just a really consistent organization. They're almost like the Blazers of the East. That's a good comp. The... The Blazers of the East, the Jazz of the East. I mean, the Jazz mm-hmm. are booming this year. Yeah. Um, but 
a jazz blazers nuggets east like hard-working small market team and the small market piece is the key to it because you got to have as we're as we spoke about continuity and maybe like intrinsic buy-in from the players and things like that what the indiana pacers have done is it seems like they've got guys on their roster are either guys who have a clear connection to the state of indiana Mm-hmm. they've done that a bunch of times or they have like they kind of do the OKC as well mm-hmm. um, either guys who are maybe kind of overlooked um, to borrow a phrase from Moneyball like the island of misfit toys to an extent yeah um, guys who are overlooked guys who are um, undervalued or like and, and also pieces that they're you know, you're willing to take a chance on a, a, cal- a couple calculated dice rolls. Mm. Malcolm Brogdon, for example. Yeah. That was, I, I, that was a surprising free agent acquisition to me for, cause I it didn't, maybe on the surface, it doesn't necessarily fit the profile of the Indiana Pacers to do that, but that was a, what it was is it's a, it's a calculated dice roll on, on their part to go after a guy who, um, is their opportunity to say, Hey, do you want to have a, a bigger role on, on a team? We have that opportunity for you. So they went out and targeted a guy, not someone who would blow them off. Right. But someone who would embrace the challenge of a bigger role and is mm-hmm. willing to play in Indianapolis, for example. Mm-hmm. For sure. And like I mentioned at the, the start of the podcast, the Pacers started off really hot this year and a lot of that had to do with just their continuity and, and more or less bringing back the same team that they went into the bubble with, um, you know, where they, they ended up losing to the Miami heat in the playoffs, but they were down some bonus, their all-star. So, you know, they more or less ran back the same team, uh, but then made a trade kind of early in the season where they more or less swapped out um, Oladipo who wanted out for Karis LeVert. So, I mean, is that kind of the reason – is that the reason for the slide right now and the fact that they've kind of had guys in and out of the lineup a little bit? I know it's a weird year to, to figure out what's going on exactly with some teams, but I guess, like, what is that that soul of basketball intrinsic motivation for them to climb back up to the standings where we think they're going to end up in the playoffs, like, as a five or six seed? For me, it's taking on the personality of your best player. and. Mm-hmm. Sabonis, another perfect Indiana fit, really, if you think about it. Obviously, we love him because of Gonzaga. Yeah, so Zags. If you take him as a Zag, he's he's playing in Spokane, Washington mm-hmm. for for his college program. And now he's in Indiana, but he doesn't really like that's not what he's there for. He, he's there, he's there to ball. He's got um his his dad having having played in the league, he's he's not like so it doesn't seem like there's a, oh, I need to go play in a big market type of thing with him, mm-hmm. considering that his track record has been Spokane and now Indianapolis um, yeah. for his, t- his two locations. So um, just like with, with that, um, and you've got a lot, just a lot of like scrappy guys on the team, um, like Justin, Justin Holiday mm-hmm. is just kind of a, a scrappy player. He's, he's out of the UW and we're usually not a, a Husky podcast, but, you know, he 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 kind of to me t- typifies a an Indiana Pacers player like mm-hmm. like Jeremy Lamb 
again, like out of UConn. It's a, they have a bunch of names where it's like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, like a bunch of like college all-stars type of deal, like 10 yes. years ago, like McDermott's the same way. Guy that was in player of the year consideration and now is like a, a rotation guy for them. Yeah. So it's like good character, fun, like fundamental basketball. Like Indiana is known for the being the state that they play the right way. That's always been kind of their ethos ever since Bob Knight, you know, back in back in the day at uh university or Indiana University or University. IU, IU, IU. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So <laughs> just want to make sure I got that right. So that that is where they they're at it, and they do play kind of still that old school style through Sabonis, like what you're saying is there. You know, Sabonis is a is a round the basket bruising finisher type guy. He's got some finesse, but it's like, you know, he's a guy that would have gone along really well in the '90s and early 2000s. So they're still holding on to that play the right way type of mentality. Um, and I know they're in a bit of a slide right now, but they, they should be able to turn around just because of like the fact they're consistently in the playoffs year in and year out. It, it's, it's interesting you say play the right way, because also when I think of the Pacers, like you think of, you think of Reggie having an edge to him. Mm-hmm. Like you, you think of those, those, those 90s Pacers teams, you think of Jalen sticking out his foot so that Kobe can land on it. Like yeah. there's the Pacers, it's, they're an interesting juxtaposition to use that word of we're boring we're in indianapolis we don't play completely like free form basketball but yet we also like by collecting these guys who are like either undervalued or overlooked they also have an edge to them they historically have an edge to them and that's why that's why we've adopted them years ago that's why they're 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 a fun team not in like in they're not conventionally fun in that you're not going to be really excited that a Pacers game is on TV, but they're, they're kind of a, if you know, you know, team. Yeah, for sure. Scrappy. And we love them. Go Pacers all day, every day. <laughs> yes. Um, and then really the only other change I was in the standings was I can't, did we talk about Toronto last podcast or I don't think we did. Okay. I they're think that's, that's cause they're on a little bit of a heater right now. Now they're the ones in the 15th spot. Um, tied with Miami who's at the 14th spot and then Boston who's at the 13th spot. So you got three teams. All of them were in the semis last year in the Eastern conference, right? Toronto played Boston, Miami played the bucks. So three of of the top four teams last year in the East, all kind of in this, this middle spot. Uh, Let's start with the Raptors though. Sure. We're not surprised that they made it back this far after what was undoubtedly just a horrendous year for them or your horrendous start to the year. Well, circumstances going against you. They're the Tampa Raptors. Yeah. They are still, they're still trying. There's like, obviously their title run was a couple years ago, but those things are historically hard to come off of. And they're, they're still, I think, still kind of like figuring that out like is are they is where do they stand with like with like pascal siakam where Mm -hmm. um fred van vliet's now up a notch yeah is is it fred whose team is it is it van vliet's team is it siakam's team is it lowry's team yeah is it norman powell's team whose team is it (laughs) Norman. i don't think i don't think anybody's worried about norman powell (laughs) taking over the team (laughs) but but no i think that is um there's kind of some identity stuff that they've tried, they've had to work out. And I think the reason why they've been on a resurgence is because of, of Freddie V and the 
the way that he's kind of become the per like the personality of the team in a lot of ways, like because that's always what Toronto did, and that's what Toronto continues to do after the Kawhi saga is is kind of be those um those underdogs, just the plucky underdogs for the most part. I think even when DeRozan was still there and Lowry was was still an all-star caliber player. We never really expected them to actually get anywhere or do anything. And so when they made the conference finals, we were like, oh, maybe the team is a little different, you know, and then LeBron just Thanos them into, you know, into non-existence. The Kawhi team, nobody really expected them to make that deep of a run. And I think the Kawhi team is when that was the first year of Nick Nurse, um, who kind of, he just kind of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe his coaching style. He's definitely, willing to try anything like aggressive yeah he's aggressive he's not complacent um he kind of reminds me a little bit of like pop in a lot of ways where it's just like he's always willing to adapt to the team that he has and he doesn't get too stuck in a certain way to do things so i think like last year you saw a lot of siakam as the focal point of the offense to start the year and as the year progressed it became clearer and clearer that teams have scouted him out and so the focal point of the team changed, you know, and now you're getting more Ananobi involved. Lowry picked his game up to become, uh, you know, it, that high level all-star player again. And that's the way this team is this year is with, with Fred, Flynn, Fred Van Vliet. That's a name I always struggle with. Um, and more or less putting the ball in his hands to make those decisions. So the Raptors are like, at least the team that we know, they're just like survivors, basically. Like they figure out a way to just like kind of hang around Um and will usually exceed the expectation placed upon them, even if it's not by a ton, like they'll still manage to exceed the expectation. And as we uh, saw last fall, and as I, I, there was a podcast where I, I literally read a quote from Pascal Siakam and mm-hmm. just that, that, in it, that in itself is the ethos of the Raptors is they're going to, they're going to consistently show up. You're going to have to, you're going to have to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves because in this Nick nurse iteration of the Toronto Raptors, they're, they're really, really smart. They play really flexible basketball. They're not afraid to change defenses. They're not afraid to run different, run different offenses. They're not afraid to have different focal guys to your point. So they are not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to beat them. And they still have a, despite being an NBA champion just a couple of years ago, they still have a, a perpetual overlooked mentality mm-hmm. just by being the Canada. Canadian team. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. They're kind of like the little brother team of the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's what continues to drive them. And the fact that they like, they don't really have a choice. They have to rely on each other and play together in order to be successful. Like they don't have the luxury of like a superstar player to, that can take them night in and night out. Like they have to embrace the soul of basketball in the sense of like they're not going to get anywhere if if guys just start going out for themselves or you know you only rely on Siakam or only rely on Freddie or only on Kyle. Like it's not going to be they they understand that that's not going to be a winning formula for them. No. Now, as we talk about as I'm thinking about other teams, I was looking at the Raptors page here, and it's just it's the Atlantic Division right now. Every team is either 500 or above, mm. which is weird. It's, I don't know if I've ever seen that before between Philly, Brooklyn, New York, Boston, and Toronto. Yeah. And in the last 20 years, 
every one of those franchises has had a woof year to it. Yeah. That's just an egregious year. So for all these teams to be at or above 500 is incredible. And then on the Eastern conference in itself, the, the Knicks are the four seed at this time of recording Yep, at 18 and 17, the Pacers who we just talked about as being out of the playoffs as we speak as the, or whatever, they're the nine seed. I got to get used to that. Yeah, that's right. Tied yeah. with, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. The, uh, the Pacers are 15 and 17. So have a nice month and all of a sudden you're a four seed in the East. The East is way up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with those, those playing games and, those higher seeds. So it'll be interesting. So I know last time we, we breezed over the, the Miami heat. I don't know if you had any, any more solo basketball takes for them. I mean, it is kind of interesting that they're like the, it, like quote unquote antagonist in the solo basketball book um, for how they went about getting LeBron and D Wade and Bosch and kind of their motivation there. Um, but that's not the typical ethos or like what we know the heat for. No, I guess when, Maybe it's our age. When I think of Miami Heat, I think of Alonzo Mourning, and I think of like just fighting Jeff Van yeah. Gundy. Yeah, think of him just flipping over. Who, who was it? Like Charlie Ward or someone like that? Like, Charlie Ward, just completely just like flipping him upside down. Yep. Yeah, no, that's but, what I think about too. When I think of the Heat, it's just like that bruiser, kind of like the Pacers, like just that bruiser mentality. But you know, it's I like obviously I like your usage of the word antagonist there. The I think what that shows and what the Miami Heat ethos is, is for Pat Riley, it's we're winners, period. Mm, Yeah. We are a winning franchise and I will do, we will do whatever to be a winning franchise. So think about all the little mini eras of Heat basketball they've had. We we just talked fondly about the Alonzo Mourning, like Tim Hardaway era of Miami Heat basketball. There's, the pre soul of basketball, the like D Wade Shaq era. Yep. There's obviously the Heatles, yep. whatever. Now there's, then there was like the like post Wade or Wade at the end. Quasi post Wade. Yeah. Quasi post Wade. Yeah. And now, now we're in like the Jimmy, the Jimmy Butler era. Yeah. 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 And, but in each of these situations, you've never seen, we've talked about this before. You've never seen Pat Riley tank. There is, yeah. he does not tank. That's not, that's not in their ethos. We are going to put a winning basketball team on the floor and we're going to run the dice every time. And the guy in the, and players know that when they get brought in there, they know they're going to be part of a winning basketball team. That's what you do in Miami. You, you make your personal sacrifices. You get your body fat taken care of. You do all these different things. You're going to, you're going to have a shot. If you, if you come with us. So if everyone is on board with that, then it's, it's not surprising to see them being a team that can say currently they're on a six game winning streak. Right. So they're saying, okay, time to like, it's winning time. Let's go. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm far from, I'm far from surprised. They, they may not catch the Sixers, the Nets or the Bucks, because they have, they've built themselves a nice little cushion between 
the like the hodgepodge between yeah. seeds four and ten totally. in the in the east. But yeah, you might see them as the four seed again or the five seed again. And you you don't want to you don't want to play Miami in the second round nope. of the playoffs if you're one of those top teams. You most certainly do not. No, really what it came down to was they just didn't have guys. They just didn't have they right. didn't have dudes to start the year. And it's almost like, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Heat and the Lakers, the two teams that went the furthest in, in the bubble last year, um, started to get hit with the injury bug pretty pretty hard. Like Miami got hit at the beginning of the year. The Lakers are getting hit by it. Well, not right now. Well, still right now, but like, you know, as of like a week and a half ago, that's when they started to really get hit by the injury bug too. Um so they had the quick turnaround, no real off season, and then it's just right back to the hustle, right back to the grind. So really, they just—I think my—I don't think anybody was really should have been concerned with Miami because of all the reasons that we said. Like as long as they got their dudes, they're gonna go out and play. And in an Eastern Conference where it's like pretty wide open still, like Miami's still gonna be in the mix at the end of the day. Are they as good as Brooklyn or the Sixers? Like I don't think so. But I mean, they could definitely be that third team. No, and yeah, they, I think yeah, they're not as good as them. But I guarantee you, everyone on Miami in that locker room likes their odds in a series. I agree that they can. We may not be as good as them, but we can beat you, and we can yeah. beat you in a seven-game series. I agree with that. What about the team that's also tied with them, man? And it's been it's been a roller coaster of a year for this team, man. What about the Celtics? Wow, it, I it wasn't it wasn't yesterday. It was the Sunday before. I was watching Celtics Pelicans, mm. and is this the game JJ got tossed for throwing the JJ ball? JJ absolutely <laughs> got tossed in that game. Yes, I fucking love JJ. He might <laughs> he might be the new mascot for this podcast. <laughs> he, yeah, he kind of he he did the thing where he tossed the ball back to the ref, but had some like spin on it. Yeah, so and he had, he had a little see it. Yeah, <laughs> he had a little sass on his on his give back to the ref and the oh, ref. When doesn't like, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was like, okay, why are you throwing this man out for no reason? Um, yeah, that's what. Anyways, but anyways, to get to what actually happened in the game. They blew a sizable lead to New Orleans of all mm-hmm. teams in the pretty deep in the fourth quarter. And which of this recording, New Orleans is twenty first overall in, in the NBA. Yeah, so. they have. There was no business for New Orleans to win that game. There was none whatsoever. But what I what I saw with my eyes, as far as you know, we're talking at this moment, we're talking about team chemistry. We're talking about like pieces fitting together, things like that. I did not see that with the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had always just, cause they had had it in years past. It probably peaked two years ago yeah. not last year, but yeah. that's something that they've had in the past. What I, what I saw on that end was a lot of alternate ISO ball. Mm. I saw a lot of Tatum year turn. Jalen Brown, your turn. Kemba, your turn. And I, it, it, I did, I did not see what I expected to see from the Boston Celtics. And I, it, it that was eye-opening and, and gave me like a little a red flag popped up there. And the the stock that I had bought previously in the Celtics and Jason Tatum, I regret. <laughs> about to short that, but probably um, short it. Yeah, probably short it. 
correct me if I'm wrong, Smart was out for that game, and he's been out for a little bit too, right? Yeah, I didn't see Marcus Smart. I, yeah. I don't recall seeing him that game. I think that's a big part of it. I think he he brings so much of a personality to that team. Like he's kind of the the soul and the furnace for that team. Um, you take your good and you take your bad with him, but it's like when Marcus Smart's on the floor, though, you know that you guys are competing at least. Um, it's just really interesting to think about where this team was like that last IT year, where it was like IT and Avery Bradley and I think baby Jalen Brown. Um, I don't think Tatum was there quite yet. He might have been. But it's crazy to think about that team going to like the Eastern Conference Finals and everything just looking up for that team. You know, you get Gordon Hayward in free agency. You trade for Kyrie. Uh, you trade Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie. And, I mean, everyone thought that team was going to win like fucking like 65 games. Like people right. thought that was going to be a juggernaut. Yes. And here we are. Like they don't really have anything to show for it. It is like I think it's worth pointing out like the Celtics were really just a block shot at the rim by Bam on just an incredible play by Bam. But they were, you know, one play away. Yeah, they kind of blew the lead in that game, whatever. But like, you know, it's still one play away from having kind of a different fortune. But like ever since that play, like things just have not been right for the Celtics. Like they just seem like to your point, just like a totally disjointed team or just not the team we've been seeing for a few years and you wonder is that like is that Danny Ainge just kind of like over analyzing his chess pieces and like always trying to be five steps ahead when really he just needs to look at what he's got on the board right now is it that Stevens just isn't like this isn't just a a team that Stevens can really work with or like he really knows what to do with them like I'm trying to figure out like what's I don't want to call it the issue because it's like, it's a down year in terms of what they've done previously, but it's like, it's definitely still not the year that I, I wasn't that high on the Celtics coming into the year, but this isn't the type of year I was expecting them to have. You, you definitely didn't expect them to be 534 games. No. Into the, into the season. You expected them to be like a four, a three, four seed. You no. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I'm, as I look at on the ESPN page for the Boston Celtics, like the video you can press play on at the top is titled, is it too soon to give up on the Boston Celtics? And that's ultimately the question we're asking here is, yeah. is it, is it too soon to your do, thing? Do they have enough soul? Or do they have enough soul is, is, is valid, man. And I'm wondering if they're just another one of these cases where historically, it seems like if you, if, a team doesn't take advantage of the window they are given. Yeah. There's some bad, some bad karma, some like the, the universe has a way of like presenting itself to where in, in basketball karma to where like, if you, if you don't take your in sports karma, even like if you don't, you don't capitalize on the window that's given to you, the window closes here and you can't, you can't have, you can't have that like sustained level there. So I'm wondering if like, it's time to break up the Celtics. It might be, is it time to, is it time for maybe if you're not necessarily like the players, I'm not saying tank Boston. I'm saying, yeah. Like, is it, it does Brad, maybe Brad needs a refresher, Brad, maybe Brad goes back to college or maybe Brad goes to a, a different NBA organization. Um, we will talk about it with doc here. 
in a second, like mm. change of scenery, change it, just a, a change for organizations might be one of those things. Might be, mm. might be the universe talking to them. Could be like definitely could be it. As for, for this year and the question of like, do they have enough soul to salvage this season? Like, I think so. I think, I mean, they're the Boston Celtics as much as right. I hate them. Like they're still like, they're still the Boston Celtics at the end of the day, you know? Um, something that I was thinking about is like, I mean, they've been to the conference finals, what, three out of the last five years or something like that. It's like, it's been a pretty, pretty good run. I think the only one they weren't in was the Toronto one. I think they played the Bucks in the conference finals. And then one of the Cavs years, they didn't, they didn't play the Cavs in the conference finals. But I feel like they've been there three times now the past five years, which is like, it's almost like that Detroit Pistons, that bad boy scene where they just kept knocking at the door. Um, but I think another part of the window, part of it is you got to, something's got to give on the other side. It's not just like how you capitalize on it, but you kind of got to get lucky with your timing too. Like in the bad boys case, the, the Celtics falling kind of just getting old, like getting old and kind of falling apart and MJ not being ready yet. Like that became their window. LeBron leaving the East that became the Eastern conferences window um, but, you know, Kawhi and the Raptors were able to capitalize on that. And then last year it ended up being the Heat being able to capitalize on that. So, and then the East, the East got better this year. You know, we got Philly, Brooklyn. Um, who's that third team? I'm totally spacing. Philly, Brooklyn, and I guess the Bucks. I don't know. Yeah, like, Milwaukee's the third. Uh, so it really is like. I know the third, but like, <laughs> but like, really, it's like, it's really like two teams that are, and I guess the Bucks, you still got to go through. And then you got the Heat resurging. So it's like, you know, you're looking at five teams, maybe six if the Raptors get their shit together. And then now you got to go through versus like last year and the year before, there's only maybe one or two teams you had to worry about. So I think some of it is like they kind of fumbled the bag with some of the, they got a little too cute with some of the like draft picks that they had and, you know, they got excited about all the picks that were coming versus like what they had in front of them. And then also too, it's just like when they did have that window of opportunity with LeBron leaving other teams just jumped at that chance. And you know, that, that window wasn't as open as maybe we thought it was for them. Yeah. And it's once again, totally fair to point out what an interesting role reversal there where you're kind of like, being the the good the the good voice to the Boston Celtics here. I didn't say that. I was saying I was answering the question: Do they have enough soul <laughs> to make the playoffs? And yes, they do. But <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> it is totally worth noting that Boston can have a really win like eight of their next ten, and all of a sudden they're fourth. Yeah, they're the four seed. Like the I, the East is bananas. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm like, let's not bury them yet. But it's like, I mean, I'm this is more or less kind of the season I was expecting from them, not to this extent, but I think they could still end up to where I thought they were going to get to. Yeah, literally any team in the East can. Literally any team in the East can. You know what? You know what team for sure could? The 18 to 17 New York Knicks. <laughs> what a time we're living in right now. What a time to be alive. Number 12 <laughs> in the NBA right now. Um, they are taking somebody to the all-star game, which is crazy. And Julius Randle, they won three straight now. Um, talk about a team that has identity, like 
and this is a team that's been absent of identity for 40 fucking years, basically. Yes. yes. Um, Tibbs is really good at that. Now, there's other things you have to wear with that. Yeah. But, like being run into the ground. But it's occupational hazard. Occupational you know. hazard. That's what you sign up for with Tibbs. Yes. This is, but I think if you're telling Julius Randle, Julius, you'll be an all star this year. Um, you're going to pay for it in like six years. Mm-hmm. Your, your body's not going to be very feeling very good, but you got, you're an all-star you take the Knicks to the playoffs when once again, the Knicks could really nick this up and miss the playoffs. That's a good, that's a very good point. That can absolutely happen. It, it's very, very, very much in the realm of possibility, but as things stand right now, RJ, you are so right. This team has an identity. It is the classic Tibbs identity. They've embraced it. They've got a really a surprisingly interesting roster, mm-hmm. given that Tibbs is obsessed with re- reconnecting with the 2011 Chicago Bulls, and we have Derrick Rose back on the team. Um as and Taj Gibson, by the way. Yeah. So like he just is he just can't get he can't get over the two thousand the two thousand eleven Bulls are he can't quit them, man. They're his they're his first love. They, I mean it's those it's those guys and then it's Kentucky East or the New York Wildcats, as we've been joking on this podcast. Yes, There's something to that though, I think. I think the fact that he's got a lot of the Kentucky guys that like or like bust or like drafted lower like quickly for example got drafted in the 20s i don't know how the fuck that happened but like you you, you know you got guys like randall nerlands uh quickly um there's another one who else is, is on there that's a wildcat there's like five of them right i'm just gonna let you you say them i did a shit show i'm blanking uh you're free you're free like when you hear this one you're like oh yeah it's not like Deron Lamb or something like that. <laughs> just Terrence no, it's Jones not Deron Lamb, the... but I, how dare you insult Deron Lamb? <laughs> is Terrence Jones back in the league? <laughs> no, that's, although that's much closer. It's Kevin Knox. Oh, yeah, Kevin Knox. Okay, so Kevin Knox is an example, another example of a Kentucky guy that hasn't, quote-unquote, panned down in the NBA. But basically what my point is, is a bunch of guys that have been highly touted their whole lives were, you know, the biggest thing coming to college basketball when they showed up on campus – then for whatever reason, it doesn't work out for them. They don't win a title. They don't play the season that they're expected to, but they still get drafted. And now they're all, they all ended up on this team. And so I think that's like the identity of this team is like this Calipari Tibbs, like fusion baby thing. I don't, I don't really know. What a weird combo. The weirdest combo. But like, when you think about it though, what did Tibbs and Cal have in common that like a lot of coaches don't really do anymore? I, I don't know where you're going with this, but I Dude, love they it. fucking ride their guys and they mm. they will motherfuck somebody out of the gym. They do not care. That's true. And so I think that's why those guys are thriving. They're used to Cal fucking yelling at them for two hours a day. And so they show up with Tibbs and they're like, you know, this isn't too bad. Like I heard Julius Randall on a podcast. I was just like, you know, Tibbs is pretty cool. Like, yeah, he yells sometimes. But I mean, like, he's really not that bad. And it's like, it's probably because they're used to that. Like, they're used to having a guy just fucking scream at him for two hours. And then that's amazing. Yeah. So could do Kentucky East, man. They, they got the soul of basketball in the sense of like, they're having fun They're They feel like they're overlooked and they feel like they have, uh, 
something more to be living up to. And they're doing it as a team. And so, I mean, like, you're right. This has all the possibility in the world to completely fall apart. And I like, there's a part of me that kind of expects it to, but <laughs> me too. I'm waiting for part of me that like is counting on it, but it's like, if they make the playoffs, man, like that's, that's an absolute win for them. They got an all-star. They got a playoff spot. New York's back in, in the basketball minds for a positive reason. And really, you know, they could finally let go of those Riley era teams from the early nineties, as far as another team that they could fall in love with. Glad they have another team they can fall in love with. I, I'm just so happy with everything you said. It's it's really great. Um, I just want to use this time to have a quick sidebar and mention. I, I sat and I watched Kentucky Florida this weekend, mm-hmm. and I'm so mad at myself. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so mad. I'm so mad at myself that I did that. And there was, there was some hope. There was some promise in their season. <laughs> they had won three in a row. It's like if they beat Florida, there was whispers of them. They were going to schedule Houston this week to like mm. try and get a, a non-con like better. They're going to like try and make a push. And I was like, oh, there's, oh, it's just so disgusting. And Calipari to your point was yelling so much and it was, <laughs> it was so, and they were so awful at shooting. Um, another Nick connection, um, Obi Toppin's, brother had a nice put back dunk but that's like i saw that i was yeah that was, Ill. that was like the only positive moment of that game so kentucky east new york knicks kenny Payne is the assistant coach in yeah. question for the knicks who all of kentucky now is saying he's the reason for a kentucky success the last decade not calipari <laughs> that's great oh my god those are those are like the people that uh think tommy lloyd is just the the brains behind the operation at gu which he might be but you know, that, I've that held that funny. opinion before in my life. That's true. I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways, man, uh, before Mark shuts us down, um, this team, the team that you, you did not give up on and I'm proud of you of this. They're number 11 right now. Golden State Warriors. I did not think this was going to go well at all for them. Uh, but right now they're 19 and 16. Um, I mean, Steph Curry, like, outside of that, what else can you say about the Golden State Warriors that, like, I guess we didn't know already from the past five to six years from them? Well, that's the thing is, it's, it's, all, the, it's all the stuff that we know about them from the past. It's, um, they're, they've got, to be cliche af, they're, they've got the heart of champions, man. They, yeah. like, the Steph Curry revenge tour, you forgot, the, you forgot about me tour has just been flat out nasty, man. Mm-hmm. Like he, has he been, have I just forgotten about him to go with what I just said? Or has he been more like, have some of his highlights just been nastier this year? Like, Oh my God, you didn't have to do that guy like that. No, he was always, <laughs> he was always like, doing... he's been nasty, but yeah, there's a little bit extra just, like oomph to it. He's disrespectful. Like he is, I love I I love it, and that is ultimately why I was a little bit more bullish on the Dubs than you this mm-hmm. year. Um, but is there outside of Steph Curry? Is there is there anything else there? I mean, it's it's really just a ragtag Molly crew of a team. Like some nights, this Wiggins. Well, I mean, Wiggins has been like solid. I mean, he's a guy that you know you're not. 
he's not the Maple Jordan or whatever we thought he might be coming out of 2014, but it's like not bad. Ubre can go up and down. He started off pretty bad. He's been playing a little better, but you know, he's another guy we'll see. And then they got just a bunch of just like just random dudes. <laughs> like just a bunch of random dudes. But like they you're right, it's the institution and the culture and the fact that, you know, um, Draymond's being the heart of the team and Steph's putting the team on his back and just doing whatever he can to create opportunities for him. Night to night, you know they're not going to take a night off. So they're a team that people are going to underestimate and then they can come in and beat. But as Steph mentioned last night, you know, there's teams that definitely remember what it was like to be at the mercy of the Warriors for five years. And, you know, they're taking their taking their shots when they have the opportunity to kind of put the champs and former champs in their place. I love that quote when he said that. Yeah. Uh, that just, to me, that just reinforced that reinforced the, that the Warriors swag is back. Yeah. It, to be, even being able to like say to articulate it that way. I, like, I think they just like get in the locker room and blast forgot about Dre, like, uh, you know, a repeat uh, until they're ready to go out into the tunnel. Cause that's really, is their they're kind of their, that's your stance for this year. They know they're not going to win the championship. Like, I mean, that'd be crazy to think that, but they can definitely remind people or basically just say like, put some respect on our names. Like we yeah. were as close to a dynasty that we've seen, you know, in the past, past few years, like we're up there with the, you know, Shaq and Kobe Lakers and the, the bulls and, you know, the Celtics and the Lakers of the eighties. They're like, we're in that class with them. You can like it or not, but, you know, you're not going to disrespect us and think that like we're done. Yeah, you. So you said it there. Right, not going to win the title, but would love to steal something from someone. Would love to like just be mischievous. There's like a mischievous quality to it. Like, yeah. Like my thing about like Steph. They want to be like the spoilers, basically. They're, they're super spoily, and I'll I'll say it again, man. Like, there's Steph has just been so disrespectful to these stupid <laughs> a voice right there. Just so disrespectful. You don't think. At this very second, they're the eight seed, hypothetically beating the Jazz in the first round of the playoffs. It's, so it's in play. I mean, like, and that's what they're gonna go for. They know they're not gonna win the title, but they're gonna they're gonna try to fuck it up for somebody else. Like, it's gonna be one of those of like, if I can't have it, neither can you type deal. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. And that's why, if, like, if they play the Lakers in the first round, I'm like, I don't want to see them do that, even no. though the Lakers just destroyed them last night or the other night. But like, still, like. You know, you know that the Warriors are gonna go out guns blazing, Scarface style, if it means that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna ruin the party for somebody else. That's that's just it's it's talk why about, the, talk the, about the, intrinsic motivation. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying, dude. Why it's different than they were on the come up before they started winning titles, but it's reminiscent of it. I like that, I like that 2013, 2014 kind of stretch where yeah. they were just, just starting to spread their wings a little bit. Yeah. No, I agree. They, yeah, I think that, I think it's pretty similar. Cause I mean, I think for them, it was just like put some respect on this city and this franchise. And like, cause I mean, like people forget how bad Golden State used to be before all that outside of the We Believe team. Like it's, it has not been great to be a Warriors fan the past 30 years, right? Or, past 20 yeah i'll say past 20 past 20 years so you know that was kind of their motivation going into that 
And then you're right. This time around, I was like, put some respect on us as a champion. Like we're a championship organization and like you're going to treat us accordingly. Yes, sir. I like it. Good job holding on to that, that stock. Um, It's currently covering my losses with the Celtics. (laughs) What about Denver? Oh, our, our Denver, our Denver Nuggets. Not every team can be ours, but. I, I don't know if I can claim the Nuggets, man. You don't want to claim the Nuggets? No, I've, I have a history on this podcast and in the blog not trusting the Nuggets. So I know it's been me. It bit me in the ass last year with the playoffs, but I was mm-hmm. I was pretty confident. I was like, the Nuggets are going to find a way to blow this. And then, of course, they, they didn't. But Are they going to blow it this year? Um, I mean, what are they about? Like we're talking about the soul of basketball and motivation and things like that. Like, yeah, MVP, they show MVP Joker. Sure, but I mean, like, I don't know. Is that something that the whole team's? <laughs> is that something the whole team is getting behind is, though? Is it? Did you see the weird sequence with um, the Washington game? Yes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> that was really weird, bro. That was in. Maybe this is getting to what you were like, is the team about it? Mm-hmm. So correct me, correct me if I'm setting this up wrong. They're down two. Two. They're down two. I believe there's a missed shot, a quick rebound, a quick outlet. Mm-hmm. They're pushing and they in got transition. Fat numbers. It's like a three on one. It's like a Three or four on one. It's fat numbers. Yeah, they, yeah Washington completely <laughs> fucked that transition defense up. And Murray has the ball. Mm-hmm. The one defender goes to pick up the ball incredibly early. Mm-hmm. The three, it's I think it's two or three, right? I, like the two or three other guys, no one, they're down two with seconds remaining. No one is cutting to the basket. Instead, they all fan out to three-point spot-up positions. Right. Murray looks like he's expecting someone to cut to the basket. He doesn't see anyone there and kind of throws this, like, off-balance, one-handed pass yeah. that doesn't have a lot of mustard on it because he he's kind of caught in a – his body's kind of caught in a position where he wasn't expecting to have to do that. Right. Um. Kimpazo, I think, is the guy who shot it and misses, misses a three. So, the, I mean, it was just a, it was a complete breakdown of the, of, of the situation. Yeah. It, it emphasized this, like, we're the Denver Nuggets. We shoot threes or get the ball to Joker thing. Yeah. But, and it was just, it was really weird. The, the lack of cohesion there. If there's one of those things where it's like a moment personified, not personifies, but like provides, that's what you think of when you think of the Denver Nuggets. It was that play, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just tough. Cause it's like the only thing that like might give them the benefit of doubt is that like they, they thought they were down three for some reason. Yeah. Or they thought they were going to be a hero and go for the win, but it's like, to that point, it's like the thing I always think about when I think of the Nuggets is that they will find a way to beat themselves. And that like that is just a perfect example of that. Now that's oh, that's like an extreme example 
of that. But I think that's why, like in the past, you've never been able to really trust the Nuggets in whether or not they're going to be able to come through. I mean, like Murray's not really a guy you can count on. Joker's as good as anybody in the NBA, but he's only one dude. And the Nuggets got worse. Like from, I mean, the the team they have this year is not as good as much of a, a cohesion as last year's team where you had guys with defined roles. You know, you had Jeremy Grant who knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't like that. And that's why he went to Detroit and, you know, got the bag and all the shots in the world. But, you know, but he did his job really well. Um, and guys like Gary Harris, like can't stay on the court. It seems like, um, it seems like anytime he's not on the court, they're just a different team and they're not as locked in defensively. And so that's where, that's where like, you know, you look at the coaching and the organization and you wonder like, what is this team about? What can they lean on when they, they are, I guess, what was it that they leaned on in the playoffs? Maybe, maybe that's where we can kind of start and try to figure out what they're about. Like what, what was their intrinsic motivation or what was driving them to come back from three to come back from two, three, one deficits? Um, it felt like the put respect on my name, Jamal Murray tour to, yeah, to some extent, like the, there's the show, the showdown with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Where everyone's like gunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, so to your point there, that's a one person thing. Yeah, exactly. It's not, but, but it seemed like everyone was like bought in. Right. Yeah. And so was that like, was basically kind of where their, that team's conversation was, was like, we're not living up to our potential type of deal or like we're better than this kind of thing. Like, cause I mean, if you really want to boil it down not, to, I don't want to take anything away from them, but it's like, you got to also point out the fact that Utah was shorthanded and really playing against one guy basically. Um, and then the Clippers mentally just fell apart Um and that's why they ended up losing. And that's why a lot of stuff came out about them having mental health issues, chemistry issues because of the bubble and stuff. So it was like, it was almost like a perfect storm that worked out for the nuggets that I think ended up being kind of misleading to what we think about them or like where we think they are as an organization. Um, they draft extremely well. They're really good at player development, but then that kind of bit them in the, bit them in the ass though because now they they had to get rid of some guys in order to make room for the guys that they drafted right so if you had to ask me like what is this team about like i I don't think i have an answer for you so we're saying last year was more about was less about them it was more about the the breaks going in their favor not, ne- not necessarily. I think what I mean by that is like the brace that went in their favor kind of miscolored what we th- like, who they really are, I guess. Mm. I'm trying to remember, to be honest. I'm trying to, because like in my head, it's like, okay, Jamal Murray obviously got my obligatory go cats, yeah. but, and I think we had, we had, we had discussions about Joker as a renaissance big man yeah and he still is that he's still still killing it yeah he still is this like renaissance big man we've had a a big man podcast yeah um 
and they do. So if I'm on the, obviously the answer is if I'm struggling to know what the ethos of the Denver Nuggets is, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. But at the time I thought we were taking like a, what our strangeness, our like uniqueness, our uniqueness is our advantage. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I wonder what changed for them then. Because they're, they're honestly they're like a, a streaky Jamal Murray away from being Western Conference finalists again. Like that that's kind of the the moral of the story with them is like they're a Murray heat check away from being just as good as we remember them. But that but that's what I mean though. It's like that's where that solo basketball might be kind of missing for them. And that's why like I'm not confident that they're gonna be moving forward. So like they gotta do a little bit of soul searching with that all-star break coming up figure out who they are and then that will definitely change things for them i think well said i have nothing further yeah. on the nuggets co another another more on the nuggets <laughs> we'll go back to ignoring them for another four months uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice spots portland portland sliding a little bit but right before that probably when we were recording last week was uh they were on a heater and despite missing you know probably two of your top three players uh, still holding on to a top into three, four, five, six, top six seed in the, in the West. They were top four last week, but um, four games over 500, man. And, you know, this is a team, I think that when you were talking about the solo basketball topic, like this is a team that kind of jumped out in your mind. Oh, absolutely. And, because I feel like it's been consistent. Like the Portland Trailblazers have been the Portland Trailblazers. This iteration of them, the Dame Lillard Portland Trailblazers, have had they've had the same identity for the last decade. They are just what did I say? They're out. They're out in the Pacific Northwest. There's there's not much around them. As like they're the only okay. There's the Timbers, but like they're the they're the only game in town in Portland. They're mm. the city. They're the beloved by the city they're an institution um they feed off of both the is because here's what i was gonna say like they they feed off the disrespect that dame gets however Mm -hmm. he doesn't get disrespect anymore but it still seems like it's a card he like it's still something they still play right like like him not being a starter for the all-star game. Yeah. When the conversation used to be that he's not getting invited to the all-star game. Yeah. Yeah. So it's evolved. The, the goalposts have been moved a little bit, mm-hmm. but they, they, they're still this, their identity is they're, they're dangerous. They're volatile. They're, mm-hmm. if anything, the whole point about, have they, them having lost four games since we last recorded while having won, I think, nine of the last ten before that. Right. It kind of – that is Portland. That's how I think of the Dame Lillard Portland Trailblazers. That is the Portland honest. experience. And that is the experience, bro. They're always going to have guys hurt somehow. Like, they, they've been the most unlucky when it comes to injuries since forever, basically, since Bill Walton. <laughs> basically, they've right. been unlucky with injuries. So they're always going to have people out, but they're always going to find a way to compete. Um, 
I think a lot of it is taking on the personality of Dame and that is kind of their identity. That is the, their soul of basketball in a sense. Yep. Um, they're dangerous. You're right. I mean, like if they can get all their, all their guys back and all their guys healthy, they're fully capable of making, making a run um, just because of who they are. I think a big part of that too is, is seeing what, I think they still let that Pelicans sweep kind of live in their head a little bit from a few years ago when they were the three seed and Anthony Davis and Rondo just absolutely destroyed them. Drew Holiday just took Dame completely out of the game. Like they, the Blazers are that team where like, they just, they don't forget shit. Like they remember like stuff like that. And, and I think that motivates them to not let that happen again. And I think that was where, like last year in the bubble, the whole Pat Bev Clippers thing, like they pretty much all rallied behind that. And even though like in retrospect, it's like not a big deal at all what Pat Bev no. said or did, like not even a little bit, but they rallied behind that. They took a personal to borrow from MJ and made a crazy run to to make the playoffs. And of course, once they got to the playoffs, they're gassed and hurt and they had no no shot of being there. But they still out of almost spite took game one. Just to be like, fuck you guys, we're not gonna sweat. And then after they won that first game, they're like, all right, well, we're, we're just gonna <laughs> we'll go away peacefully now. Um, but that's the Blazers for you, man. They're always gonna show up and they're always gonna compete just because that's that's who their best player is. That and so it's like once again the team taking on their best player. The I the idea of um gosh, they could either be the the team you exactly want to play in the playoffs or the team you definitely hundred yeah. percent do not. Exactly. They're either gonna get they're either going to like do some serious damage and take names as they leave you in their wake, or they're going to have what happened to you um, with, with Anthony Davis and the, that Rondo year. Yeah, exactly. God, the injury thing is funny too. How, how you bring that up. There, it that is always happens to them. It's a quintess. That's a quintessential Portland thing. Mm-hmm. Quintessential. Mm. What about the team that just won't go away, man? San Antonio bouncing back after a, a disappointing year missing their the playoffs for the first time in 21 years 22 years i can't remember exactly what it is they missed the playoffs for the first time in a really long fucking time yes um and now they're the fifth seed right now in the west 17 and 12 record what what can't you say about the spurs and the soul of basketball and just what they're about as an institution what wow they are the, I, I guess if there was any team that would fight MJ about the statement organizations win championships. It'd be it would those be, guys, yeah. It'd be, it'd be these guys. It'd be the San Antonio Spurs. Because unlike even the last couple of years prior where you had I guess there's some remnants of like the old Spurs. I, I just saw Patty Mills's name pop up and I just got like a little shiver, like, oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess Patty, I guess Patty's the standard bearer of the Spurs way, I guess. Cause it seemed like LaMarcus, the LaMarcus San Antonio experiment hasn't been, I hasn't think what, really he, worked what he wanted it to be. He's had a couple of really good years. I think he's just just past his prime now and kind of ready for the next phase of his career, probably. Yeah, he's just kind of like an injured, injured, injured guy hanging out there. 
Um, but I mean, speaking of him, it's kind of telling that after that first year where he was looking to get traded and basically pop apologized to him for mm. how we used him. And it's like, we haven't heard a peep from the market since then. If anything, now he's been like kind of the model model spur in that sense. Yeah. He's been a good soldier ever since then. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, that's just kind of telling of just like pop and just the, the culture he's built there. Even taking a guy like DeMar DeRozan. Well who, said, yes. Yeah, wasn't seen necessarily as like a Spurs guy. Um, and now it's like, you know, he's a guy that has real trade value right now. Now, is anybody going to spring to get him right now? I'm not sure, but it's like he's playing well enough that you could make the case that like he could he could add to a championship contender. And then he's they just, yeah. And then they Go got ahead. just a bunch of young guys that like Again, like you don't necessarily see them as like quote unquote Spurs based on like how they played in college. Like Lonnie Walker is not a guy that you would have thought would have been a good San Antonio Spur. Like you expect them to have kind of specific personalities of the people that they get, but or as they play a certain way, let me say that, not necessarily personalities. I think the personalities is what matters. And they go out there like certain kind of people that they can mold to what they do in San Antonio. So I think it's worth pointing out that last year was supposed to be Pops last year. He decides to come back. Um, and I think there is a part of him that feels like there's some unfinished business, you know, before he respectfully walks away from the game. So I think in a lot of ways, that's what the team rallies around. Um, it's just understanding that last year, last year it was a fluke, quote unquote, in their eyes, even though at the end of the day, they just were as talented as other teams. But more or less, they're running back the same squad, and they're saying, like, no, th- it was a fluke. We're as good as the rest of the teams in the Western Conference. The uh, the DeMar thing I, I think is really interesting, too. Just the, how – like, he was devastated. Mm-hmm. That, that was, like, the breakup of the century was when DeMar and Lowry yeah. broke up. That was, like, sad. Yeah, it was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> that was – that was sad, but hey, man, he's it. He's been a, a really good San Antonio Spur, and has, from what I can tell from a distance, embraced it and mm-hmm. and rolled with it. And like to your thing with Lamarcus, like he hasn't been like still sad about his breakup with the Raptors. I, He's, he's been a, a, a major force and a major piece for them. Yeah. And it's like, it is kind of funny how they are kind of turning into the Island of Misfit toys too. Cause like you look at the guys like, like Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan are the two guys I remember the most when the analytic movement started of just like analytics, just hated DeRozan. They hated Rudy Gay. And now those two are like two of the most important players on that team. Yeah. This team, like, They they're not. This isn't a modern basketball team. I wouldn't know. No, like de, de, like you said, Demar Derozan, Rudy Gay. Like, not make it to work though. <laughs> but it, but it's it's Lamarcus Aldridge. Like they're they're kind of kind of retro. A little bit of a throwback. Yeah. Soul of basketball always with the Spurs. What's going on with the Bucks? They've won. Five in a row. Seven right now overall. Third in the East. But we're not that impressed with them. No, we keep seeing these moments with the Bucks where we keep Coach Bud. We keep we keep like 
shaking our finger at Coach Bud. I'm I'm not particularly impressed with the run they're on. It's the Thunder Kings, T Wolves, Pelicans, a cli- a nice Clippers win. Mm. That was a, a nice Clippers win, but I, I think I think they do what the Bucks are doing, which is they stack their wins, man. I, and you, they they've had a much easier Eastern Conference to stack their wins in the past. However, uh, that's that's still that's still what they're going to do. I yeah. There's just a lot of evidence of it not being not being the team you want to roll with in a in a big game. And I think I mean this year is especially compared to other years, like what's driving these guys? Like what's their motivation? I mean, the past couple of years should have been simple. LeBron's out the way. That's the motivation. Now this, now's our time to make a run. Um, what is it this year though? Like what is driving these guys and where, where are they in their search for the soul of basketball? It should be like an internal, I don't know if shame's the right word, that's that's I don't know that's not the right word but yeah. like there's like an internal like like redemption fi- type of redemption deal. like fight or flight response from the bucks yeah like you're either going to come out of this like like forget all that like we got to we're stronger than ever or it it or it's like not a thing that's going to happen mm-hmm. which is why it was so cool that the they got Giannis back on the on the on the deal that they did because right. you know I think the con, the conventional wisdom would have been like the window opening window closing thing to to go back to where, where we were at before. So the intrinsic motivation for them is redemption, like you said. Yeah, I think what worries me about that being the motivation is the fact that like half the team is new and weren't there. They weren't there last year for that. Um, and so like it doesn't really apply to them the same way. And I think you can get away with that when you're adding like one or two people. Like if they just kept most of their team and then brought in Drew Holiday, um, which I know is kind of an oxymoron. You can't do that necessarily, but like, you know, Drew Holiday's the type of guy that's gonna be like, okay, I get it, and be able to roll with that. But like when they have kind of a revamp like they did you know there's only a handful of guys that are still around from that team that actually matter and contribute you know full time to the court so and i and i wonder too is that the message that that bud is preaching or is that like just something that the players are feeling but they're not talking about like you know what i'm saying like shouldn't that be something that maybe the team's addressing and, and talking amongst each other you know and again this is just from the outside looking in but it, it doesn't look like they're necessarily acknowledging what happened to them last year um, and embracing that redemption approach. I, I definitely am not sure. I, what I, what I would personally love to see is not that he isn't like, he's the back-to-back MVP, but like, yeah. A next level, next level, Jonas. Like, I don't, yeah super super saiyan super super saiyan three Giannis. Giannis. i just don't think that's i don't think it's realistic to ask that of him anymore though that's Mm. and that's the the problem like the bucks have been able to get by on the fact that he is you know this incredible player um and middleton's been really good this year too holiday when he's played has been good so it's like 
I don't know, man. This team's just missing something. I think like it is that sole part of it. I think that's why we can't really buy into them. Cause if last year does bother them, they don't really show it, you know? Um, and don't play with that edge that you would expect a team that's trying to bounce back from something like that to show, I guess is it's kind of where I stand on them. I don't disagree with that. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's still a lot of season left to to get up there with uh, the next team, the next two teams actually, which is Brooklyn and Philly. So they're more or less tied uh, right now for record. Um, Brooklyn's been kind of the the story lately. Kevin Durant hasn't been playing, but Nets have been having pretty nice run with James Harden and Kyrie Irving. More or less what the Nets are showing me, man, is like it doesn't really matter what, you know, it doesn't matter who they're playing against. They have enough firepower to compete and cause some problems for people. And that's that's the scary thought of what they could be once they get KD in the mix with that. The the whole Harden Kyrie, who's the point guard thing. You know, yeah. I know we I know we laughed about that, but it's it's working. It, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it's working. It, it it totally worked. And I think they're they're just I don't have too much to say about them because they're just so they're this is the great analysis. They're just so good. Like what 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 is their what is their soul? I, I guess if we're let's go, let's turn this back to like intrinsic yeah. motivation. What is um like what is each what is each player looking for? What is each each interesting thing there? So you have these three superstars. Do their respective interests align? Like obviously they want to win a title, but like for Kevin Durant, it's about legacy. Mm-hmm. For Kevin Durant, it's about the big picture, big 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 picture of it. For Kyrie, I think it's more about um, kind of like shaking off the haters from the the past couple of years. And then for James, it's a combination of both. There's the Mm. short term, there's the short term, like, you know, all the, all the twenties, 20 stuff that's, that's been happening. Like his like short term respect as a team player, I guess, in the narrative. And then there's the long term. Is this guy a winner? Yep. Conversation. So in, in that sense, each of those guys brings something to the table that's a little bit different, but very compatible in their their respective goals and interests aligning. And really, those are the three that you focus on because they're just yep. the three are just so so good. I mean, those are the three you need on the same page. It doesn't yep. really matter, you know, if the seventh or if Tyler Johnson you know, what he thinks about the situation, like all due respect to him, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I think with that team, I think what's really interesting is I think they didn't necessarily have an intrinsic motivation or soul of basketball look at it when they first joined. And I think when they got James and they saw kind of just the fallout of public perception of James in that case, also had the Kyrie stuff going on at that time. And then KD has been kind of like in this quasi we acknowledge that he's really good, but like, you know, we're still kind of feel weird about the warrior years. 
I think there's the thing when James came on board, I think the three of them got together and said, like, let's just stick it to the media and to all the people that are always talking, talking negatively about us. Like, let's just stick it to those people and go win a championship. And I think that's where that's the only way they're going to be able to rely on each other and not like fray when things get tough and going out on their own way is just kind of like that pact that they made together to, to go achieve this. What we've seen in the past is usually that it's not going to happen the first year around, but like it, it also totally could. So I think they're, they're, they're scarily motivated. Like as far as teams that have like good motivation, I guess, or, um, you know, a, a soul of basketball to lean on, like they're, they're going to be in, towards the top and why they're, you know, they should definitely be a force to be reckoned with when it comes to the end of the season. Well, yeah, that much is true. Um, what will the the piece of, of of all these quickly put together teams is what will it look like in the playoffs? Yep. So, as long as they're on the same page, I think they'll be fine. Uh, Philly has been the the best team in the East though for almost the whole season. So, I guess this is our seventy six seconds of seventy yeah. sixers talk. Um, Doc Rivers is a pretty big part of the soul of basketball book. So I guess I'm not totally surprised to see the Sixers up here at the top of the list for the East. No, man, we've, I'm proud of us for staying by Doc Rivers. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I'm someone had to, and, <laughs> and it was us. I, there's even that LeBron produced show on Netflix. I think we've talked about on this podcast where one of the, oh, episodes, yeah. one of the episodes is, is Doc Rivers. Yep. It's a it's a really good episode, and it the the Ubuntu Celtics and just everything that went on with the with the Clippers. Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers is a good basketball coach. You can talk about the schematics of the thing and and his play calls and philosophy. Um, Doc Rivers is a leader of men, and he's a good basketball coach. And you you you, it is not surprising that he was to our point from months ago it's a it's a great fit for the sixers who quite frankly needed a leader more so than yeah. a tactician yeah you know there's some hires where you look to like gain a tactical advantage they needed they needed a soul yeah they did not have one they mm-hmm. were adrift in yeah. a soulless sea of potential yeah but doc river doc rivers they were in a river of potential. Doc Rivers, the coach, <laughs> come, shows up, and he's he's uh, it's a it's a perfect fit. I don't really got too much more to add to that. I mean, what he's been able to motivate and be to become, and what he's been able to motivate Ben to shape into, to basically get the most optimal version of Ben Simmons that you can get for a guy that's playing alongside Embiid in order to get the most possible or most optimal version of Embiid. And then the guys that they've gotten around them to play into their roles, getting Toby, Seth Curry, guys like that to just really be the best that they could be the best versions of themselves in their roles. Like that's, that's more or less what the soul of basketball is about. Um, I know it's because it's the Sixers that everyone's kind of like, well, we'll see. But I mean, like if there's a team 
if there's a team to feel because like I said, if I'm thinking about it as who's going to be in the finals for the West and it's the Lakers, like the team I definitely don't want to see is the Sixers because of how well they match up with them. And because like, I do think doc still has a lot of, a lot of feelings towards the Lakers over, you know, the past 10 or so years, 12 years that, you know, he's, he's had to battle the Lakers, whether it's as a Clipper or as a Celtic, not the team I want to see. So that is funny. Yeah, I mean, I think Brooklyn right now. Brooklyn looks like the scariest team to enter the playoffs if they started today. Yeah, um, I was gonna. So that's my follow up: is as a Lakers fan, you'd rather face hypothetically, you'd rather face the Nets than the Sixers. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. That's like that's like trying to pick if I'd rather burn to death or drown. You know, it's like mm-hmm, one of yeah. those situations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think I think the Sixers present way more problems for the Lakers than the Nets would toads so i hope you're happy ty maybe we could still be friends after the finals but we'll see um this team you 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 nailed it on these guys man phoenix i wasn't quite as high on them going into the year you felt pretty good about them though so congratulations on that one thank you i chose to ride with the momentum from the bubble they are a a lightning in a bottle case here where you talked about the importance of opportunity and just sometimes it's the, it's the right opportunity in the right moment. And so the timing thing, it's all these convergences mm-hmm. coming, coming together. Maybe it's because they played in a bunch of shooters gyms and they weren't playing in big arenas, whatever they got. They were there. Maybe it's because they were young and they were able to benefit off their tight, compact schedule of the bubble. They're not like they were, they weren't necessarily a team full of like, grown men with families like you know what i'm saying it was it was like devin booker and friends yeah exactly. play, playing in orlando having having a months-long aau tournament more or less yep and they I, they really embraced it and i like even just in the it, it seemed like in the moment they were like wow this is fun now the question of course became can you carry this over but for me it was and what I, what has been so cool to see is they did the thing that like every sports movie tries to do. And it's like, okay, we got this young crew. Now what happens when we throw in the, the veteran who mm-hmm. hasn't got his, what will happen here? The Chris Paul edition is the, is, is the best, the best edition of the off season. It is mm-hmm. the perfect fit for setting up, setting up Booker, setting up Aiton, setting up um, on the court, but then also like giving these guys who are young and fun, but also giving them a, a frame, a perspective here. Mm. They are the, uh, they're the TNT game tomorrow, RJ, uh, Suns, Suns, Lakers. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's basically like you took this team that was young and fun and put an adult on the team yes. and it's, it's working out. But a out. cool adult. <laughs> He's a cool dad. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think anybody has ever played with Chris Paul ever described him as that before. But <laughs> so I think one thing too to, to point out with this team is there are like a bunch of not afterthought guys, but guys that like people kind of gave up on. Like people gave up on Chris Paul, people gave up on Booker, kind of, or at least the idea of Booker being a winner um, yes. and playing for a winning team. Gave like didn't give up on Aiden, but there's definitely the whole Trey Young and, um, 
Luca were drafted after him. So he's a number one pick and was right. maybe the third best player in that draft, if even. Um, guys like Mikael Bridges, who got traded on draft night. So it's like the team that drafted him, the hometown Sixers, didn't want him. Uh, Cam Johnson, who surprised everybody by getting picked in the lottery, including his former teammate, <laughs> Kobe White, the guy that is a, a four-year senior that, you know, didn't look like he can do much but shoot, now is like one of the best shooters in the league. My point basically is that all these guys, they do come with like a little bit of like baggage isn't the right word, but there's like a little, there's some stuff with each of them that I think they can use to kind of unite them. So it can bridge the gap between Chris Paul and the rest of those guys, because they kind of all are experiencing similar, you know, emotions for where they, they are in the league right now. And yeah, I mean, and Monty Williams, I don't, I think Monty Williams is the most liked person in the NBA. Um, and so I'm not so, like after seeing what they're doing, man, it's I'm not sure if they're a finals team yet or a Western Conference finals team yet, but they're gonna be a tough out in the in the playoffs and definitely I think a, a really tough team and down the road. So your your joke about Chris Paul got me thinking. Mm-hmm. Is there something to be said about Chris Paul's last two years being on OKC and now Phoenix? where he's like the clear elder statesman. Yeah. And he's not, he's, it's less Chris Paul playing with like peers of his. Yep. And like, that's just a, that's a better dynamic for him. Maybe. Yeah. Cause it's guys. I looked up to him guys. I grew up watching him. That could definitely be it. Yeah. It also could be too. Like just Chris, like Chris is making the most of his opportunity and you know, he, he's trying to keep, He's tr- like, I mean, he's really good friends with Mello and saw what happened to him. You know, basically the league told him they didn't want him anymore. And like Mello almost didn't come back. And Mello kind of had to change his game and kind of keep his ego out the door and change his lifestyle in order to fit in with the Blazers. And now he's a really good fit with that team. I think Chris did a lot of the same things with OKC, which is a very similar situation to what the Suns are now with way less talent, mind you, but like same sort of idea at least. Um, and so I think being able to adapt and change the way that he has, that's what's kept him in the league and kept him playing at such a high level. Like the guy's an all-star again, somehow. And we thought he was done like three years ago. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the Suns really, really hard in the Western conference. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see what they do. I'm, there's their their soul of basketball is hopefully just beginning yeah i agree i i want to see them around for a while i think the league is better when the suns are good that's a good call what about the clip i guess we can kind of combine the two la teams clips and lakers are next um clippers are half game behind la right now at 24 and 12 i mean They've been kind of just flying under the radar, kind of doing their thing this year. Um, but I mean, their soul, their motivation should be pretty clear. I feel like, yeah, it's it's they're doing what we would like, which you know they're doing what like we were saying in the Milwaukee conversation. Yeah, and the flying under the radar that that fits the I think that fits exactly what they want to do this year perfectly. They mm-hmm. made a whole lot of noise last year. Yeah. 
there's a lot of eyes and a lot of noise on the Clippers. This is going exactly according to plan. They're just sort of scooting by, let LA get the shine, let LA be the talk. And then let's see if we can match up and beat you in a, in a playoff series. For sure. That's the only thing I hope for them. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but the thing I hope for them is that their motivation is in the right place. Like, I hope it's not that. I hope their goal is to win a title and not just to beat the Lakers. Cause I, I was under the impression that's kind of where they were last year. And that was their, their motivation was to just be better than the Lakers because of that they didn't even get the chance to play them in the playoffs because their eyes weren't, weren't really on the prize. So I think this year, this year is going to be different. I hope for their sake, or else it's going to be another pretty embarrassing playoff outing for them. But you're right. The edge that we wish we saw out of Milwaukee, they definitely have. Like you see it with Paul George, you see it with Kawhi. These guys are, are they're reminding you why people were so excited about them in the first place. And the, I, so your, your insight there about wanting to beat the Lakers I hadn't considered that. I think that's, I think that's really powerful. That's um, there's, they, there's some putting the cart before the horse or yeah. counting their chickens before they hatched. Like, I think that's exactly what happened to them last year. Yeah. They were focused on, they were just focused on the wrong goal. La, they were more, there wasn't a, there wasn't as much of a soul with them. It was, it was a bunch of, they were mm. a bunch of like mercenaries. They were a bunch of like, Collective individual parts. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what happens this year. I mean, the Lakers and their motivation should be pretty clear as to repeat as champions. Um, and I think that was pretty clear at the start of the season. They've hit a bit of a skid now. AD could be out for a while. Who knows with that Achilles injury? That's one of those you don't want to roll the dice on it. Um I do worry that their motivation, though, for parts of the year and the reason why they're starting to slide is that their motivation was to get LeBron an MVP and not necessarily to be ready for the playoffs. So based on the comments they've made lately and the fact they've been able to, to turn around with a couple of wins now, um, I think their their focus is where it needs to be, and that's really they need to be ready for the playoffs, and that's when they're really going to shine. Um but that was something I did notice, though, in recent weeks when they started to lose games was like, is the conversation in the right place? Like, yeah. is that really what they need to be worrying about right now? It's getting LeBron another MVP. So, I mean, that's the, that was the thing two years ago with the Lakers was it being so LeBron-centered. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because they didn't get the additional pieces that they were thinking they were going to get. Right. Are you talking about before, before Davis or pre Davis? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Having Davis last year by default made it a much more team centered thing. Yep. So I'm wondering if they're like kind of back without Davis, are they reverting back to like where they were before where it's, it's so it's hard not to be in LeBron's shadow. It's hard not to yeah. have it be so LeBron focused. Is it that, is that concerning to you? No, I mean, I think they'll figure it out. Like, I think the thing about them is they know, they know what it takes now. And they won one of the most difficult titles that you're, you're going to have in NBA history just because of the bubble and everything like that. Um, 
I mean, I think at the end of the day, they're just flat out in trouble if they're missing either LeBron or AD. If they're missing one of the two, like they're they're not going to go far in the playoffs at all, just because they're not. They don't really have a contingency plan <laughs> if something was to happen. Whereas like Brooklyn does, as we're seeing, Brooklyn has that luxury. If Kyrie goes out, you know, during the playoffs, like fine, we still got James Harden and Kevin Durant. Like you're going to be fine. Um, the dirty secret about the Lakers is that they've always been LeBron dependent like their numbers when LeBron was on the floor versus off the floor last year were like pretty drastic even when AD was still on the floor so they've always been a LeBron reliant team but their team defensively and you know especially defensively but like offensively as well too um they're just not the same team when Davis isn't on the floor and they're they just become vulnerable like when Davis is on the floor that becomes psychological for the other teams of like, okay, we got to be AD and LeBron. Whereas if it's just one of the guys, now you, you feel like you can sneak them. Even without Davis, like there's still, there's still a swagger that comes with being the defending champs. Is there like, Mm. who's your, who's your current, like number three Laker take take LeBron and AD like, out of the picture who who's like a laker you want to give a a little a few seconds to to be like i I really like the way he's he's looking this year yeah i mean harold's harold's playing in his role and like that's a guy that you're going to need if if that is the case you're going to need that guy to go get you buckets but i mean like i can't believe i'm saying this but i think kcp is probably the third most important guy on that team like you know he he's kind of like like he kind of reminds me a lot of Lamar Odom back in those like 09, 2010 teams where it was like, you could tell what kind of game it was going to be for the Lakers based on how Lamar Odom was playing. Like kind of how Lamar went was how the Lakers went. So you can get 40 points with Kobe, but if Lamar is playing like ass, they're not going to win the game type of deal. Same thing with, with these guys, LeBron and AD could score 60 points combined. But if KCP is one for 28, they're going to lose the game basically. I love your relationship with KCP. It has been, man, let me tell you, it has been a journey. <laughs> it has been a journey. I was ready to put him on a rocket on some Wiley Coyote shit and shoot him off into the sun. <laughs> but, yes. But here we go. Here we are, the third most important Laker. Um, all right, we're running a little long, but it's been a good talk. We'll wrap it up with Utah, the number one team in the league at 27 and 7. Um I'll let you kick off with just where we're at with the jazz soul of basketball. And, and I guess is this the correlation where we see like, because of their soul of basketball and motivation, is that why they're having the best season so far? Did Shaq do exactly what he set out to do? Allegedly. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and did he, and did he allegedly set out to do that? <laughs> allegedly. His... Yeah. Uh, my, I don't think Shaq, really meant to do that but and i'm and i'm happy that Shaq is covering his ass and saying that that was his intentions all along that's funny however the utah jazz versus the world us versus them mentality is on full display this year mm-hmm. they, they're continuing they've won eight of their last 10 they're, they continue to um put up a ton of points per game they absolutely destroyed the lakers the other night (laughs) like just ran them out of the gym yeah so they're 
and that was the that was the critique was like can you actually take care of business against good teams can you can you lock good teams up can you get uh, pointedly with donovan mitchell as the personification of this like are you just going to be like cute or are you you going to be like something of substance Mm -hmm. and they are what i didn't get a chance to watch that lakers demolishing did you watch the lakers demolishing i saw some of it i saw i saw enough (laughs) what um is there what is particularly impressive about about the jazz besides like donovan mitchell taking entire like previous generation the words of previous generations and yeah they just play together and they play within their roles like everybody's a, a threat on the court um they're kind of spursy in that sense where it's like they they move the ball really well the fact that they have that chemistry like the in that continuity that we talked about in some of our early podcasts this year they basically brought their whole team back from last yeah. year um so now you got guys healthy. I think the Conley piece like can't be understated at all. Like just a totally different Mike Conley is playing for them right now. So, I mean, if you want to boil it down to just like a simple sentence, it's that they play together and they play within their roles. And that's why they're successful right now. So something I was thinking about, man, is that, is there, when you think of that 2011's Mavs team, which is what the Soul of Basketball book is based off of, like, is there any team that mirrors that Mavericks team more than the Jazz right now? Okay. Because you got your star that is being deemed under, you know, overrated. He's being deemed overrated or not as good as projected to be. You got that star. That's had, you know, some humiliating playoff defeats. You got your rim-protecting center. You got the kind of uh, spark plug and, like, or kind of that that steady veteran presence with Jay Kidd and Conley. Obviously, Conley's an upgrade from Jay Kidd. Um, you got the wild-card spark plug and Jason Terry, Jordan Clarkson. And you got your wing defenders that are versatile, can switch off of anybody and are capable of making big shots, kind of like that Marion, um, that Marion role, kind of like a Royce O'Neal type of role for them, or like a Joe Ingles or a Bogdanovich. So it's like, when we think of a team, like how the Jazz's year ended last year, that's a team that unfortunately became the poster child for the coronavirus and the NBA getting shut down. So there's that part of it. There's the rumors that Gobert and Donovan are beefing because of said coronavirus incident. They come back, they lead 3-1 in their series, end up blowing that lead, and despite that, you know, they are a three-point, Mike Conley three-pointer away from advancing. So instead of celebrating what an incredible series Donovan Mitchell had and the perseverance of having guys missing from the bubble like Bogdanovich, having Mike Conley coming in and out of the bubble because of the birth of his child, Instead of that story, they now watch the Nuggets become like the darling of the NBA, basically, and watch them make a run to the conference finals. So knowing what we know about like Donovan Mitchell and like just kind of his personality, like there's no way he didn't spend the very brief summer that they had not thinking about that every single day. Like there's no way he wasn't thinking about that every single day. True. Um, 
and I think between himself, the buy-in that the guys have for, with Quinn Snyder, um, the head coach, great buy-in for the team. I think they all rallied around that, and they wanted to put the league on notice that when they were at full strength and they had their full team and everybody's playing at the best of their abilities, that this was going to be a title contending team. And in that sense, I think they have the soul of basketball in that sense, because everything is driven towards the same goal and it's all like everybody's on the same page and bought in with it. And it is, it's strong motivation. So that when there is a night where maybe they don't feel like they just don't feel like it, you know, they, they show it to the arena and they're like, fuck, we got to play our fourth game in five nights instead of just like throwing it away, they're going to go out and compete and try to win the game. So because of that, is it enough to win a title is a big question. And there's always concerns about what do you do with Gobert in the playoffs? Because a lot of teams will, they will scheme and they will scout to get him off the floor, which basically takes a huge part of their defense away. Still, man, this is a team that they got enough pieces and enough guys that they could be kind of like what the Heat were last year. Um, they got to come out of the West to do that, which is a hell of a test ahead of them. But it's like, how, I mean, are they any different than Miami was last year, really? When you look at the personnel, the guys, the way that they play, it's more or less the same team. Wow. Uh, so you gave us two comps there. You gave us the... 2011 Mavs. Yeah. And you gave us the last year's Miami Heat. I'm trying to decide which one I think is a clear through line. The. Who. I. So the. In, in saying that, because the Donovan Mitchell Dirk thing would be the. There's like the one, the one side in this, like mm-hmm. with Dirk, with, with Dirk, it's, it was like, yeah, you can score, but you're soft. And that's kind of been the thing with Donovan, right? Is like, yeah, you can score, but like you're soft, but he's not soft, but like not soft, but can you be a number one option? Yeah. Or not. Can you be a number one option? Can you be a number one option on a winning team? Which is basically the Shaq argument. Yes. And in Miami, the Donovan comp would be Jimmy. Jimmy. Which is probably more appropriate comp, probably. It's the, the Donovan one is because it's the same it's his it's his original organization. It's he's obviously not as old mm. as Dirk was at the time, but right. The Jimmy, the the traveledness of of Jimmy is the like the interesting wrinkle to that. How he he's bound, he bounced around from a few different teams. Yeah, Donovan. Donovan Mitchell as as a number one option and as someone who can carry a basketball team. I. It's funny. It's funny that that is an argument. And maybe this is why it's a good dirt comp. It's like, this shouldn't be an argument. Yeah. I don't, who's mate, like, who's the accurate, the accusations of such are, are not in good faith. Like, 
again, that's the, like the shack thing kind of like rubbing me the wrong way. And, and I suppose may, maybe, and that was kind of true with the Dirk stuff at the time. So the, in, in that sense, it's a, it's a player, the, the disrespect a player feels the, um, the Rudy Gobert Tyson Chandler piece is fun. Yeah. That's um, the, the rim runner, rim, protect, rim protector, the, the veteran point guard piece. That was really well thought out. And that's a, that's a really good way to like, hopefully tie this together. So now we have, now we did it. We just named our NBA champion this year is the, is the Utah jazz. They have the soul of basketball. If they actually pull this off and win this year, like I want to be mad. They beat the Lakers to do it because of just being able to bank on that take is be like, I called it in soul of basketball part two. <laughs> totally. So appreciate you guys hanging in there. I know it was a, a little bit of a long one. As Kevin said, though, it is March. So we're going to definitely have college hoops coming up. We'll talk a little all-star probably, I'm sure. Uh, but we'll be back next week. In the meantime, it's been RJ Liggins and Kevin Reed at the Shorts and Goggles podcast. You can follow us at Shorts Goggles Pod on Instagram. You can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Breaker, and Google Podcasts. Like I said, it is March, and we'll be back next week. Peace.